So happy to be with you this morning. Before I get into the message, I want to say that we are in our uh, Christmas season and we're coming into the end of the year and uh, we are going to have a special year-end offering on Christmas, on our Christmas service, December 23rd, Sunday, December 23rd. This is our year-end giving campaign. What we're going to be doing between now and December 23rd is celebrating everything that God has done, reminding ourselves of everything that we have seen God do this year. How many know that God has been good to us in 2018? And so as we come to the end of the year, what, what tends to happen in local churches is that we take the tithe and the offering and we lay it at the feet of Santa Claus. That which should go to the feet of Jesus tends to go to the feet of Santa Claus. And uh, what we're trying to do is we're trying to break that because Christmas actually was about, on the first Christmas morning, the wise men came and laid their gifts at the feet of Jesus, not at the feet of each other. And there's nothing wrong with giving one another gifts, but when the giving and receiving of gifts from one another supplants the fact yeah. that this season is about offering ourselves to Jesus, we've got a problem. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, we, we know that God has great things in store for us in 2019, and as we prepare our hearts to enter into what God has for us in 2019, we celebrate what God has done in 2018. You're going to be hearing more about the testimonies. We, we just sat down and looked at what God has done and, and the reach of our ministry around the world, and we're going to be sharing those specifics with you as we approach December 23rd, and we're going to gather and lay our gifts at the feet of the Lord that day. Amen. Amen. All right. Psalm chapter 27, verse 8. Do not turn there. Put down your Bibles. Do not open your phones. Psalm chapter 27, verse 8. Repeat after me. When you said, seek my face. Say it. When you said, seek my face. Again. When you said, seek my face. Again. Again. When you said seek my face. 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 Last time. When you said seek my face. My heart said to you. My heart said to you. My heart said to you. Again. My heart said to you. Again. My heart said to you. Stay in rhythm. Again. Again. My heart said to you. Again. My heart said to you. Again. My heart said to you. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Again. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Again. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Again. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Again. Some of y'all just gave up. Some of y'all just quit. You're like, I ain't, I ain't nobody got time for this. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Last time. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Amen. Let's pray. 
Precious Heavenly Father, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would put, us, put it in our hearts to respond to your word. Yes. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're in our I Belong series. And our I Belong series is connected to the Christmas season. And what we're discovering this year is that there were many, uh, many characters in the Christmas story, but all of the characters in the Christmas story found their place in the Christmas story because of what they were willing to surrender yeah. or what they were not willing to surrender. Yeah, yeah. That is their significance in the story of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ had to do, it was a story of surrender. And they're known either for what they surrendered or for what they were not willing to surrender. Yeah. Now, last week we talked about the Virgin Mary. What was she willing to surrender? She was willing to surrender her youth and her reputation. Yeah, yeah. We talked about the Magi. What were the Magi willing to surrender? They were will willing to journey across the world in order to surrender their greatest physical treasures. Yeah. But then we talked about King Herod. What was he willing to surrender? Not a dang thing. Yeah. <laughs> Matter of fact, Jesus was his competition. Yeah. When he heard that one born king of the Jews was coming into the world, the first thing he thought was, I better kill him before he takes my place. Yeah. And many of us are afraid that Jesus is coming to take something from us. Mm -hmm. And when we live in fear that Jesus is coming to take something from us, we are imbibing the spirit of Herod yeah. that sees Jesus as our competition. Yeah. We need to be more like the Magi. Yeah. We see it as our greatest treasure and our greatest privilege to lay everything down at the feet of Jesus and to surrender to him. I belong. Belonging is facilitated by giving and receiving. I belong. When we talk about being a part of the body of Christ, we're not simply talking about being a member of a religious club called the local church. We're talking about being a part of a worldwide body of believers who have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. That is, it's not just the members, the characters in the Christmas story that have significance because of what they surrendered or what they didn't surrender, but each and every one of us in this room right now and everyone around the world who hears the word of God and calls themselves members of the body of Christ, the eternal significance of your life will come down to this. Are you willing to surrender to God or are you not willing to surrender yeah. to God? Today I'm in Luke chapter 2. I'm looking at the story of the birth of Jesus as told by Luke. Uh, Luke talks about uh, the registry that was happening. Basically, Caesar had determined that he was taking a census of the entire Greco-Roman world at the time. And uh, so everyone had to go back to the city where they were born to register for the census. You couldn't just, you know, put it in the mail. You had to go back to the city where you were born, which was not an easy thing to do. So Joseph, he takes Mary and he goes to the city of Bethlehem where he was born because he was of the lineage of David. Now Mary was greatly with child. She was pregnant with Jesus at the time. And the, no, that's not working? Yes, it is. You can hear me out there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Don't be disrupting my flow like that. Just what was I talking about? I'm just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Mary was greatly with child at the time. And the, book, and the book of Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 6, tells us, So it was that while they were there, that is in Bethlehem, where they were registering for the census, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Verse 12. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth goodwill and peace toward men. So it was when the angel had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. All right. Now, the first thing we see is that Mary and Joseph are in Bethlehem for a very natural reason. There was a census. They had to go to Bethlehem. Had there not been a census, they would not have gone to Bethlehem because nobody in the third trimester of their pregnancy decides to take a journey like the journey from Nazareth all the way over to Bethlehem, riding on donkeys or mules or camels or horses, whatever they rode on. Nobody would take that journey in the third trimester of their pregnancy. The only reason why they took that journey was because Caesar said they had to take that journey. If they did not have to take the journey, they would not have taken the journey. What they didn't realize was that the fact that they had to take the journey was divine. God saw to it that they had to take the journey. Matter of fact, God looked down from heaven and saw them in Nazareth and said, how do I get them to Bethlehem? I know what I'll do. I'll touch the heart of Caesar. He'll call for a census, and then they will have to go to Bethlehem. Do you realize that some of the stuff you have to do is because it's something that God has intended you to do? Some of the stuff that you have to do that you don't want to do is stuff that God needs you to do in order to fulfill his purpose for your life. They simply thought they were being inconvenienced. They didn't realize they were being positioned. Some of you right now in this place think you're being inconvenienced when in actuality you're being positioned. Wow, that's good. Why? Because Zechariah chapter 9 verse 6 said, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are the smallest of all of the, clan, all of all the clans of, of Israel, yet out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. It had already been prophesied hundreds of years before that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. They didn't realize that their inconvenient situation was actually positioning them to fulfill the prophetic word that God had spoken. They didn't realize that it was all in God's plan that before the foundation of the world, God saw that they needed to be in Bethlehem at this specific time. Why didn't Caesar call for that census when they were in the second trimester? Why didn't he call for it when they were in the first trimester? How about after the child was born? That would have been more convenient, but that wouldn't have been very prophetic. Sometimes we have a choice between convenience and being prophetic. I don't know about you, but I want my life to be prophetic. And that simply means that you must have a higher perspective of the situations and circumstances of your life. You're so quick to call something bad when in the divine perspective it's good. 
You're so quick to call something an inconvenience when in the divine perspective it's actually a positioning. They're in Bethlehem. And there's no room in the inn. It, it gets worse. Not only do they have to take this trip in the third trimester of her pregnancy, but they get to Bethlehem within days of her being delivered. And there's no, and all the hotels are full. All the hotels. There's not a hotel, not a Motel 6, not an Airbnb, not even a shelter. All they could do was to get someone to let them into his stable with the animals. You want to talk about adding insult to injury. You want to talk about an inconvenience. Can you imagine that being on a trip that you didn't want to go on in the first place, and then you get there and you got to sleep in the stable with the animals? Because, see, we forget what that must have been like emotionally when we, when we look at the Christmas story and we have our Christmas plays and Mary and Joseph are all smiling and carrying the baby Jesus and they lay him down in the manger and the animals and, you know, oxen lowing and cattle and the sheep and the goats, they're all, ooh, like the, you know, like the animals were looking at Jesus and going, ooh. That's not what it was like for them. That's what it's like in our Christmas plays. That's not what it was like if you were there. If you were there, Mary is screaming in torment. Her body's being ripped apart by a baby that's coming out of her womb, and she's in a stable with the animals, and the animals are making all kind of noises and, and, and releasing odors into the atmosphere. And, and it, was not, it was not a nice set of circumstances. Now, watch this, verse 7. First of all, verse 6 says, so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. It's interesting when we think about deliver, when we talk about childbirth, we think it's the baby that's being delivered. You say, I got to go deliver a baby. And in a sense, yes, the baby is being delivered, but actually it's not just the baby being delivered, the mother is being delivered as well. Like the mommy gets delivered. She gets set free from that thing that's been inside of her for nine months. It's, it, and it says here, that the days for her to be delivered were completed. Mary was the one who needed to get delivered because she had something on the inside of her that was from God. And your deliverance date is the day at which the thing that God has put on the inside of you finally comes out. And many of you are in this place right now where God's put something on the inside of you, but your deliverance date hasn't come yet. It's on the inside of you. And you simply got to nurse that thing and carry that thing to full term until the days are completed for you to be delivered. Yeah. And verse 7 says, so she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, which means basically cloths. She looked around and said, there's a cloth. Give me that cloth right there. Like they weren't prepared for this. They were hoping they'd, be, they'd find a nice hospital room or something or a hotel or something. They're in a stable. They look around. There's a cloth, and she rips it into strips and wraps them up real tight. You know what's swaddling when you swaddle a baby? Yeah. That's when you wrap the baby up real tight 
It kind of helps them transition from the womb into real life. You know, in the womb, they were nice and snug, and then they're out there, and they're, you know, they're born, and, you, you know, they're just all over the place. So you wrap them up real tight, and it gives them that kind of sense of security that they had in the womb, and it calms them down. It helps them sleep at night. It also keeps them from scratching themselves. You know, I remember I had to learn how to swaddle Alethea when she was born. I didn't know what I was doing, and I would wrap her up and tuck that thing in, and it would come out, and her hands are out. Oh, Lord, got to wrap her up again, you know, you know, and as women are just good. My wife would just come, give me, give me that. You know, one tuck, and that thing never came out. Like, how'd you do that? Mary just wraps him in swaddling clothes, and then there's, where's the bassinet? Joseph, where's the bassinet? I ain't got no bassinet. We're in a stable. Well, where am I going to lay the baby? I can't just put him on the ground. He might roll away, or some, you know, you know, some ox or some donkey or some sheep might come nose him, and we'll just roll him off in the middle of the night. Where are we going to put him? And Joseph just grabs his feeding trough. Here, put him in there. Like the, the animals have already ate all the food out of it. He probably turned it on its side, brushed the extra oats out of it or whatever, put it down there. Put the baby in there. Are you happy, Mary? I'm doing the best I can, okay? <laughs> I'm saying, y'all had, have, if, if you've had a baby, you know it's not a, you know, oh, you're, you're, you're sleep deprived, you're <laughs> irritated, you know. The woman's, you know, going, what, your wife's going, you did this to me, and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Next baby you're carrying, you know. And they take him and it says, she wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. A manger is a feeding trough because there was no room for them in the inn. Meaning it's a natural set of circumstances, right? She just did it because she had to. That's what was available. I'm just doing the best I can. Okay? Now, we go to verse, is it eight or nine? Verse eight. Now, were there, now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. So there's shepherds in the same country, not in the same city, but in the same region, out in the fields, living out in the fields, meaning these were not hired hands. These were not part-time shepherds. These were professional shepherds. These were uh, what we might call vocational shepherds. And it says they were watching over their flock by night, meaning it was their flock. Like, these were their sheep. So they lived out in the fields watching over their flock by night. Being a shepherd is 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. If you're a professional shepherd, you don't get days off. You live with your sheep. You're out there with your sheep, okay? Verse 9, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. All of a sudden, an angel of the Lord shows up and stands before them. Now, their flock represented the totality of their lives. It represents for us the entire constellation of cares and sorrows that accompany your life. Everything that you are responsible for is a part of your flock. Your finances, your family, your job, your health, your hobbies, your friends, your future, your education, it's all a part of your flock. And all of us are watching over our flock at night. Like all of us are continually watching over the whole constellation of issues that surround our lives. And watching over your flock is 365, it's 24-7, it's 365. Like you don't get to take a day off. Like even if you go on vacation, you got to watch over your finances to make sure you don't, you know, overspend. 
you got to watch them kids. Like, you can't take a vacation from them kids. I mean, you might get a couple days off, but you still got to call the sitter or your mama or whoever they're with to make sure they're not dead. Right? <laughs> I'm not talking about your mama because my mama's right there. <laughs> when, when, my, when my daughter's with her, she's I. I know she's I. The shepherds are minding their own business. That's literally what it means when it says they're watching over their flock by night. It meant the shepherds are out in the fields with their sheep, minding their own business. And suddenly an angel of the Lord stands before them, and the glory of the Lord shines around them, which is a good thing, right? Like if, an, if all of a sudden an angel of the Lord stood before you, and the glory of the Lord shone around you, would that not be a good thing? But it says they were greatly afraid. They immediately interpreted it as a bad thing. As soon as God shows up, we think, uh-oh, something's wrong. Something's bad. You know, my New Year's Eve service, my New Year's Eve sermon, I started preparing it already, believe it or not. And I want to talk about the fact that you and I are not actually qualified to evaluate our, our own lives. Because yeah, you and I will always look at something and say it's bad, but we don't have all the information yet. We're only looking at things from a limited, finite, earthly perspective. God is looking at things from an unlimited, heavenly, heavenly, infinite perspective. And often God looks at something that we deem bad and says, that's a good thing. What are you freaking out about? What are you all upset about? The angel of the Lord stands before them. The glory of the Lord shines around them, and they're greatly afraid, meaning they are evaluating the situation and thinking it's all bad. If God shows up, it's all bad. We're about to die. It's funny, you know, every, every once in a while when I call somebody in the church without them knowing that I was going to call, the first thing they say is, am I in trouble? Am I in trouble? I'm like, I hope not. Are you? <laughs> and the angel says to them, do not be afraid. This is not a bad thing. This is a good thing. The angel says to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. I'm bringing you good tidings of great joy that's going to change the entire world. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. See this. What the angel reveals is that something has already happened that has, that has changed the course of their lives, and they don't know it. The angel shows up to say, you have no clue that something has already happened down the hill in Bethlehem that changes your life forever. God shows up not to speak, not to tell them about the future, not to reveal to them things to come, but to reveal to them what has already taken place, what has already happened. It's already happened. You don't have to pray for it to happen. You don't have to ask. You know, sometimes we're praying for stuff to happen when we don't even have a revelation of what's already happened. Yeah. Like, you're praying about stuff that's going to happen next week. You don't even know what happened last week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My wife and I, we have this practice that we haven't practiced in a long time. we got to get back to it. It's called Sabbath of Delight. Yeah. We're going to do it tomorrow. What we used to do was every Monday, we would recount to one another the things that God has done over the last seven days so that we could be intentional about, number one, recognizing the clear work of God among us, and number two, rejoicing and delighting in the clear work of God among us. Otherwise, we tend to have our gripe time about the stuff that God didn't do over the last week and the stuff that we hope he does over this week. The angel shows up to reveal what God had already 
done. He says, for unto you. Something already happened for you, and you don't know it. You know, we gather in this place for many reasons, and most of us are here because we want something to happen in our lives. And most of the time when we pray, we're praying because we want something to happen in our lives. We're hoping God does something for us. But sometimes God wants to simply give us a revelation of what he's already done for us. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then listen to what the angel says. And this shall be the sign to you. Follow me here. We need to practice hearing things as they would have heard it in the original context. And this shall be the sign to you. What's a sign? What's a sign? Anybody know what a sign is? A sign is a lower reality that points to a higher reality. A sign is something that directs you to something else. It's, there's really two components to a sign. Number one, it's something intentional. Whenever you see a sign, you see something that was put there on purpose. And number two, it's something that has a meaning. It's intentional and it has a meaning. So if you're driving down 580 and you see a sign that says Coolidge Avenue, you don't stop and get out and say, I'm at Coolidge Avenue looking up at the sign. The sign, number one, is intentional. Somebody put it there on purpose, but number two, it has a meaning. In in other words, the sign itself is not Coolidge Avenue. The sign points toward Coolidge Avenue. When you see the sign, you know you're going in the right direction. The angel says, this shall be the sign unto you. The angel's presupposing something here that he's not stating. You shall find him. You will find him. Well, when did I say I was going to seek him? You will find him wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. What's what's implicit in the statement that's not stated, you will find him if you go search for him tonight. Because had they waited a few days before going in search of him, Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus would have already headed back to Nazareth and they would have missed the whole thing. You see, once they received the word from the angel, the shepherds then had to get up and go out in search of the thing that the angel indicated. Follow me. They got the word from God, but the word from God required them to get up off of the field, to leave their flock behind, and to go out in search of the one that God was speaking to them of. Had they simply sat on the hill they would have completely missed the sign. And the angelic message to them would have been completely meaningless. Matter of fact, they would not even be in the story. They wouldn't even be in the book because they never would have actually found the child. Mm -hmm. Do you know in the body of Christ, in every church around the world, there's folks who never actually find the child, even though they're in the church every Sunday and they hear the angelic message. Do you realize that when you hear the message of the word of God being preached, it's like an angelic message, but you don't actually find the child unless you go seek him yourself? What tends to happen is people in the church are like shepherds sitting on the field and the angel shows up and says, good tidings of great joy. Your life has changed and you'll find him. If you seek him, you'll find him. If you search for him with all of your heart and after it's over, they go, that was pretty cool, huh? That was a cool message, huh? 
let's just sit here and wait and see if another angel comes. And a week later, the same angel comes back and says, good tidings of great joy, but they never find the child because they're not willing to leave their flocks behind. Your life doesn't get changed simply because you come to church and you hear a message. Your life is changed if you actually go home and start to seek him. And then all of a sudden, the scripture said that along with the angel appeared the multitude of the heavenly host, praising God in a loud voice and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to all men. And then when the angel had departed from them and, and gone back to heaven, the scripture says, the shepherds said to one another, come, let us go now to Bethlehem. Do you hear that? After the service was over, and the angel goes back to heaven, and the choir stops singing, and the worship band packed up the stuff, and they put the speakers away, and they shut down the auditorium. The service was over. What they said was, come, let us go now in search of the child. Why? Because the word itself was a sign that pointed them towards something greater than itself. The word itself was not it. And the next verse says, and so they made haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child. They actually went out and found the thing that the Word informed them of. When the Word is preached, it informs you of a reality that you must go out and find. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The problem is ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got time to pray. I mean, you know how busy my life is? You know how many kids I got? You know how many hours I work at my job? You know how big my flock is? But the shepherd said, I don't care how big my flock is. Let's go now. Meaning they left the sheep on the hill by themselves. The sheep woke up and there was no shepherd. The sheep just one, And they just peace. They were out. To seek the face of God, you must learn how to disappear. You got to learn how to go into a room and close the door and put out everything and everybody. You got to learn how to find a secret place between you and God. You got to learn how to carve time out of, because, you know, for some reason, we don't have any time to actually seek God on our own, but we definitely have about four hours of time for Netflix every night. What's that app that tells you how much time you spent on your, your phone? That screen time app? Somebody, some, somebody in the front row, I'm not going to say no names, but Amy just said, I ain't got that app. <laughs> because, it, I, man, it, it beeped for me today, and it said, you were on your phone four hours this last week or something like that. You averaged four hours a day on your phone. I said, oh, Lord, that devil is a liar. <laughs> Thankfully, Alethea is at least an hour of that, I think. <laughs> No, I just blame my daughter. That ain't right. That, that was dirty. <laughs> that was dirty. 30 minutes, but no. When we hear the word of the Lord, there should be an urgency. Yeah, 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 yeah. An urgency to leave the hillside and to go out in search of the thing that God spoke to us about. Amen. 
And they get there, and they see the sign. And what's the sign? They find him wrapped in swaddling cloths. Okay, got that down. And they find him lying in a manger. He's lying in a feeding trough. He's wrapped in swaddling cloths, and he's lying in a feeding trough. Here's the question. Why are those two things a sign? Like, what's that a sign of? Why is it, remember, the sign is intentional, which means God set it up intentionally so that Mary would wrap him in swaddling cloths and and lay him in a manger, and it means something. What does it mean that God set it up so that Mary would have to wrap him in swaddling cloths and then lay him in a manger? Are you familiar with the sacrificial system of ancient Israel in the Old Testament? Okay, sacrificial system. You read the book of Leviticus. How many have read the book of Leviticus lately? (laughs) Some some people just went, oh. He said the book of, he said lately. (laughs) I remember reading it when I was a child. (laughs) Back in Sunday school, I didn't understand a word of it. I remember one of my Bible college professors, he said, uh, he, he was asked, he was teaching, he said, how many of you have read the book of Amos lately in the last year? And nobody raised their hand. He goes, how about Haggai? Nobody raised their hand. Hosea? Nobody raised their hand. Malachi? A couple of us raised our hand. How about Zephaniah? He starts naming all these obscure books of the Bible. And when he got done, he goes, you might as well just rip all of those other books out of your Bible. He goes, he goes your Bible consists of Mark, the Psalms, Romans, and Philippians. That's it. You ain't got no other books in your Bible. He was like, you need to add some books to your Bible by reading the Bible more. Sacrificial system of ancient Israel. We find it in the book of Leviticus very clearly. There were sacrifices to be made specifically for sin. So if I committed a sin, I would go into my flocks and I would find a spotless lamb. And then I would bring that spotless lamb to the door of the tabernacle or the temple. I would give it to the priest. The priest would put it to death and go through the ceremonial things that he would do, and then lay it on the altar and offer it to God as a burnt offering. So the concept was, this lamb died for my sin. If I committed a sin, I would need to bring this spotless lamb to offer it for my sin. What we don't see is that what the shepherds would do is that when a spotless lamb was born, they would come and inspect all of the lambs that were born. And when a spotless lamb was born... They would swaddle it the way you swaddle a baby to protect it because it was born spotless. We got to make sure it remains spotless until the day of its sacrifice. And when you would walk into a flock and find a few lambs that were swaddled, it was a sign. These are special lambs. We're going to pay extra special care to them. We're going to protect them to make sure that they are spot. They remain spotless lambs without blemish. We've got to preserve them for the sacrifice. The first sign is that this is not just any baby, and he's not just the Messiah, but he's being preserved for the sacrifice. Secondly, he's lying in a manger. Why is he in a feeding trough? You ever read John chapter 6 before? Rip that out of your Bible too. (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. kidding. Don't rip that out of your Bible. Go home and read it. In John chapter 6, Jesus is teaching the multitudes, and three days later, they're still sitting on the edge of their seats and listening, but they had no food to eat. The disciples say to Jesus, send them away so that they can buy food for themselves, and Jesus says to them, no, 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 you give them something to eat. They say, Lord, we have no food, only this little boy's lunch. Jesus says, give it to me, takes the bread, 
He breaks the bread and blesses it and gives it to his disciples, and the disciples feed the people, and the people eat and are full. Late that night, Jesus makes sure everybody's sleeping, grabs the 12, wakes them up, puts them on the boat, and heads to the other side. The people wake up early in the morning, see the boat of Jesus halfway around the lake, and they run all the way around the Sea of Galilee and meet him on the other side. And when they get to the other side, they say, Lord, where did you go? And he says to them, Assuredly, I say to you that you follow me not because you saw signs, but because you ate bread and are full. What's the, what's the interpretation? Jesus says, you're here for the wrong reason. Mm. You're here because I met your needs, mm. not because you understood that there was a meaning. Not because you saw signs, meaning you don't realize that what happened over there, number one, was intentional, and number two, had a meaning. You're just happy that you were hungry, and now you're full. You're following Jesus because he healed you. You're following Jesus because you're hoping to get some more blessing. You're following Jesus because you're hoping he'll fix your marriage or find you a wife. You're following Jesus because you're hoping to get some healing in your body. You're following him because you ate the bread and are full, and you're hoping to get some more bread. You're not following him because you saw the signs. You didn't see the sign. You don't recognize that your situation was intentional and that it has a meaning. Your only priority is the meeting of your own needs. Jesus says, the fact that I fed you with bread that I multiplied was a sign. Really, Lord, what does that sign mean? You really want to know? Yeah, we really want to know. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. He said, what? He said... (laughs) Yeah, my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink. And unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And they said, this is a hard saying. Who can, who can accept it? And they said, we're about it here. And he said, don't let it hit you where I split you. <laughs> and then he looked at his disciples and said, y'all want to go too? And Peter goes, where would we go? Translation, yes, but we're stuck. (laughs) Where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. They didn't understand that Jesus was saying eternal life comes from feeding on me. He's laid in a feeding trough. Why is he laid in the feeding trough? Because he's the bread of life. He says, you've got to feed on me. Life does not come from hearing the word on Sunday and going about your business. Life comes from going home and feeding on Jesus. The word that you receive is a sign that you've got to go seek him so that you can feed on Jesus. But the promise is that if you seek him, you will find him when you search for him with all of your heart. If there's anything that every time we come together, the promise of God, the word is simply to reveal what God has already done, what God has already made available by his spirit, the doors that God has already opened into heavenly places, the riches of the kingdom that God has already made available to you by his spirit. But you've got to go home and seek him. And if you seek him, you will find him when you search for him with all of your heart. Do you know why they found Jesus? Because their hearts said something when the angel appeared. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. You see, for so many of us, God says, seek my face, and we go, later. 
Seek my face and we go, ain't nobody got time for that. Seek my face and go, not now, one more episode. Seek my face and go, maybe tomorrow. But who promised you tomorrow? Seek my face. No, I'd rather just hear the message. Seek my face. I'll just listen to the podcast again. Seek my face. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. The shepherds are in the story because they didn't just hear the message, but they sought the revelation. They found the child. Now here's what's crazy. They departed from Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. And they didn't immediately go back to their flocks. But the scripture says they went out and published far and wide what the angel had said to them and what they saw. And everyone marveled at what they heard. They went out far and wide and they became evangelists. Wow. I hear a lot of people say, how do I share my faith in Christ with other people? Like, I want to effectively share my faith in Christ with other people. Do you know what empowered them to share their faith in Christ with other people? What empowered them was that they heard the word, and then they sought the Lord until they found him. And then the natural response was to go out and tell everybody what they heard, and what they saw. This is the pattern. This is really the pattern for the mature believer in Jesus Christ. You hear the word, yes. and then you go home and you seek him until you find him. And then you go out and tell everybody what you heard and saw. If you hear the word and then you seek him until you find him, you will very naturally go out and tell Good. what you heard and saw. Nobody told them to do it. It was the next right thing to do. Question for us today is, are you willing to seek him? What is your heart saying? The shepherds are in the story because they were willing to leave their flocks behind. And because they were willing to leave their flocks behind to go out in search of Jesus... They found him. They sought him, and they found him. Good. And once they found him, they became a part of the community of the found. Mm. And that's what the body of Christ is designed to be, yeah, yeah, is yeah. the community mm. of the found. That is, when we come together every week to fellowship together, to hear the word of God together, to worship God, what if... We all came with a testimony. Last week I heard the word. During the week I sought his face. And I found him. Some of you haven't found what you heard a month ago. You heard a message on deliverance, but you ain't found deliverance because you didn't go home and seek him. You heard a word on blessing, but you haven't found any blessing because you didn't go home and seek him. You heard a word on provision, but you haven't found any provision because you didn't go home and seek him. But God is calling us to go beyond the message. Yeah. The message is a sign. Yeah. This is not the reality. 
You actually don't come to church to feed on the message. You go home to feed on the Jesus of whom the message is about. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Lord, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. God, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would put it deep within our hearts. That every time we come to the house of God, every time we hear the word of God preached, every time we gather for worship, you're saying, seek my face. When you speak to us, regardless of what you say, the heart of what you're saying is seek my face. Yeah. Lord, sometimes that word it falls on the path and the birds come down and swoop it up and eat it. And other times that word it falls among stony ground and the sun scorches it. And other times it's sown among thorns and the thorns choke it out. But God, today I pray that you would take this word and that you would sow it into the good soil of our hearts, that you would uproot the, the, root, the, the weeds and the thorns, that you would remove the stones from our soil, that you would allow this word to be planted in the good soil of our hearts where it might bring forth fruit, and that you would uncloud our ears and uncloud our minds, unstop our ears and uncloud our minds, so that we could hear what you're really saying. Seek my face. Seek my face. Seek my face. Seek my face. Stop worrying and seek my face. Stop complaining and seek my face. Stop crying and seek my face. Stop lamenting and seek my face. You're calling us to seek your face. But Lord, seeking your face is not simply about us coming to tell you our evaluation of our lives and our evaluation of reality. So often we're not seeking your face. We're simply, we're coming to tell you, Lord, this is bad. And Lord, my life is tough. And Lord, as if I'm qualified to evaluate my own life, that's not the same thing as seeking your face. Help us to stop our own evaluations and open our ears to listen. Because there's a depth of intimacy that we're missing out on because we don't know how to listen to you. Help us to believe that if we seek you, we will find you when we search for you with all of our hearts. We renounce every spirit of unbelief and fear. Every lying spirit that says, seeking his face is useless. He doesn't listen to you. Maybe the devil lies to you and says you're just not godly enough. Maybe the devil lies to you and says you're just not special enough or you're just not spiritual enough. Whatever it is, today we break all of those lies of Satan off of your life in the name of Jesus. We replace it with the truth. If you seek him, you will find him when you search for him with all of your heart. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would empower our hearts to make haste to seek your face. I pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.